welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from Melbourne Australia joined by my two co-hosts Sheila Trelevin from Grimsby Ontario Canada and Carlos aka Charles from London UK and before we get into this week's conversation with our guest we have some news guess what we have got our first ever podcast sponsor yay <laughs> that's right pretty exciting we've been doing this show for 10 11 months now and i don't think we've had like even a single ad of any kind so far because that's just not what the show is about for us and it still isn't but our friend Triathlon Taren has just come out with this amazing triathlon training series, which we wanted to support and get the word out about. So they've come on board as sponsors. So the series is basically an online series of videos and audio files from some of our favorite pro triathletes. There's Lucy Charles, two times Kona runner-up and swim course record holder, along with her husband, Reese Barkley, for the How to Swim videos. There's also Cameron Work, the Kona bike course record holder, for how to cycle videos. And if it wasn't enough, there's Sarah and Ben True on how to run. And guess what? Run, bro. We have Miranda Carfrey, Tim O'Donnell, and their strength coach, Erin Carson, on triathlon strength training. So guys, this is the best of the best of the best. Talking about what they know and do best. Yeah, and all of it has been condensed into these nice, short little videos covering specific areas and topics. And I think whether you're a beginner or whether you've been doing the sport for a while, I think there's a little something for everyone in there. So for more information you, or to get the courses, you can visit humansoftriathlon.com forward slash pro try. So P-R-O-T-R-I. And if you use the code humans of triathlon, you can get 20% off. Honestly, I believe the prices that the courses are at, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete steal. To, you know, just be able to get an insight into the way these pros think about their sport and the way they do things. So, and yeah, we previously we've had quite a few people ask about how they can support the show and support Humans of Triathlon. Well, this would definitely be one way to do so. So make sure to check out humansoftriathlon.com slash pro try and coupon code Humans of Triathlon for 20% off. All right, now let's get into this week's episode. It's going to be a good one. So there is no secret to being successful. It's taking one small step, being consistent in your routine, managing the doubtful voice that says you can't, and training your body and brain to know you can. Easier said than done, right? So now imagine you've grown up an athlete, a multidisciplined martial artist, and a competitive rower, active, strong, independent, control over mind and body. Okay, so now imagine going out on a bike ride, as many of us do almost daily. And in one brief moment, your life has forever changed. Independence lost, ability to function normally limited to only a few hours per day. Our guest today suffered a traumatic brain injury in a bike collision with another rider. We will hear from him on how his rehabilitation and triathlon are linked, how consistency and persistence can bring about success, sometimes in different ways than we originally planned. Welcome to Canada's Rob Sainsbury. Hey guys, thank you so much. Welcome. Wow, that's got an intro. Thank you so kindly. Welcome. I, I didn't even know that you did martial arts and stuff earlier. Like, looks like Sheila did some digging. I did. I, I'd be I'd be curious where you look because that's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I actually looked at. Um, I just looked up you on on google and uh limited uh or limitless training came up and your bio was on there and it talked about your um background in martial arts and rowing yeah. and yeah all that. so uh funny funnily enough uh that so i'm just uh coaching two classes a week and it's sort of like my first foray back into stuff that i used to do pre-crash so ah. it's kind of been an interesting return to return to form because all through 
uh, university and after I was always involved in some way. So it's it's been a, a really good step. So. so yeah, we usually like to start off our chats with our guests taking us back to their childhood, you know, just talking about their background, their origin story. So yeah, talk to us about what yours was like. Uh, let's see. So uh, born in Vancouver, fairly normal. I moved over to Vancouver Island when I was about nine or 10. Uh, we moved to a farm, so I was sort of out in the sticks. Um, I was just an outdoorsy kid, uh, really nerdy. I was into biology, and I, I didn't really have a chance to do sports so much, uh, just being so far out of town, sort of being isolated. Uh, I didn't start until, like, I was doing martial arts all along. I was into karate and taekwondo as a child. And, uh, but when I got to late high school, that was where I started doing rowing. And uh, that was sort of my sport for the next decade, I would guess. Um, and then kickboxing and boxing was always there on the side as sort of a, not a distraction. It was more of um, a touchstone. It was like, I think um, in the same way that for triathlon, for a lot of people where it's what you come to for something that makes sense, uh, martial arts was that for me for a very, very long time. Hmm. So your sh- your, the rowing explains your huge shoulders then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have big shoulders. <laughs> I uh, it's it's strange. I um I have a, quite a few conversations with people about uh, my physique, and the reality is, is I'm much much bigger now than I ever was when I was rowing. Uh, I was rowing as a lightweight, which is uh, a weight cap of 72 kilos, mm-hmm. and I was probably floating around 150 pounds, uh, even down to 145 pounds, uh, for most of that competition time. So I'm. I'm 189 centimeters, six foot two, a little bit, a little bit more. So I'm a big dude, yeah. and it was it was not a healthy weight for me. So like I have a big frame, but the muscle that I've added has all been through swimming and triathlon training. Hmm. I was gonna say those are our swimmer shoulders, and I was wondering how you got those. I mean, the rowing makes sense; you got the base there, but yeah, your 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 shoulders really do look swimmer shoulders. Well, what I think is really unique is like. Uh, one of the main things with me in triathlon is that like I came to it with no background whatsoever. And like I've I legitimately taught myself to swim from a DVD before I did my first triathlon. So I uh, it's all been in the last probably three years that I've really built that physiology and that physique. And prior to that, like rowing gives you a good cardio base and like mm-hmm. strong legs and stuff. So when I first got into triathlon, it was like, oh, well, I'm good at the bike and I'm not a very good runner and I'm not a very good swimmer. And over the course of the last few years, it's been developing into a totally new physique um and just learning to take advantage of physical attributes that i always had but never developed yeah so how, how did you get introduced to triathlon and cycle so cycling uh i basically for me cycling was always just something that was on the side it was a commuting thing uh, i rode on the most junky bikes you could ever imagine i would pull things out of a dumpster and put them back together and use them to get to school and back um I think I bought my first quote-unquote nice bike in 2012. It was a Kona Major Jake, one of the original mustard yellow ones. And uh, I used that as a commuter. But uh, it really just kind of boiled down to I was on vacation trying to just like keep myself entertained. And I looked online. I was in uh, staying at Kalua Kona. And Team Mango Races hosts a bunch of little local events. And one of them was there. Uh, it was like the New Year's. Uh, sprint or something so it was an 800 meter swim a 20 kilometer bike and a 10 kilometer run and i had about a week of lead up time i was like yeah okay let's see how this goes and what's the worst that could happen so i went and i uh i picked myself up a a nicer bike and taught myself how to swim and had at it and that was sort of how yeah in a week (laughs) i uh no i was and it's hilarious too because i was actually there with my with my family and uh, it was supposed to be like, you know, we're spending a vacation together. I was like, just sorry, guys, I got to go sit for an hour in the pool and just try and go back and forth as many times as I can. Because <laughs> I legitimately had no idea how to do an open water swim when I got into that. It was just, I'm doing it and see how it goes. But you were able to swim like somewhat, like, you know, yeah, like like a uh, recreational kind of freestyle yeah, or? I, would, I was definitely wasn't, uh, wasn't going to drown or anything. It was like, I've always been comfortable in the water, but it was the transition from being comfortable in the water to being competent in the water. Like I I grew up snorkeling and I was, I like, I did some body surfing and all that kind of stuff. So I was never really worried about being in the water. I didn't have a lot of the, the yips that some people get about, you know, Mm -hmm. being in deep water or that. Um, But as far as like 
swimming well. That was just totally foreign to me. So, so how did that first triathlon go with one week of uh, preparation? <laughs> uh, honestly, I think it was... It was awful in all the ways that make me think it was one of the most memorable, wonderful experiences I could have done. Uh, like it was, it was about having the rubber hit the road and not having anywhere to hide. Like the thing about coming from that rowing background is like, yeah, I was generally fit. Yeah, I was pretty competent in being physical. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if you don't have the technique, if you don't have the experience, if you don't have the precision, you know, uh, like tripping and falling and transition when you try to run in bike shoes or like getting tangled up in your shirt as you're trying to like just get dressed to go out under the next leg or like uh, I, I did my that run in a pair of uh Merrill trail gloves which I thought were the most wonderful shoes in the world until I tried to run longer than four kilometers in them uh-huh. and just the amount I could I don't think I could really walk for a couple of days afterwards <laughs> but no I, I think that was the the amazing part it's just like coming up against a task where it's like, yeah, I finished it, but there's so much to learn here. There's so much that I can grow into doing this because it's so foreign in so many ways. And I just, I love that. I thought that was great. That's awesome. So a little recovery on the beach, I would imagine afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing that was great is that I think two days later, they did a a time trial for their cycling or it was just like, just straight up down the, down the Kailua highway. And uh, yeah, just like, trying to fit my feet back into my bike shoes to go and do that and yeah <laughs> not a lot of rest but enough to make me want to get out there as quickly as i can and do more <sighs> yeah to be young i don't <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that, right? I, wish. I wish i'm just reckless <laughs> it's perfect so after after that first triathlon obviously you got a little bit of the bug um mm-hmm tell us about how things went after that. Like what were your next steps? So the, the unfortunate thing and like after that, I'd been like, Oh God, when can I do the next one? And I'd had all of these things that I wanted to do, but I was working. Uh, so at that time I was working as a professional biologist um, in a consulting firm out in Alberta and the work cycle uh, through summer there is very, very intense. I think, I think in 2014 up till the end of the work season, which is sort of like around when the crash happened. Uh, I was away from home probably, I don't know, five out of every six weeks and up north and doing lots of heavy hiking and things like that. So there really was no time for training and no time for getting into races. Um, The only events that I actually did, I did on the day because that was the only way I knew I was going to be in town. So triathlon for me really went into a, went into a little box and went on a shelf for a while. Like the bike that I got, stayed disassembled until uh probably the end of july and then august is when i had the crash so it was just it was a complete wipe and then catastrophe (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean that's obviously a rough thing to go through talk to us about that like what how what was the crash like and what what happened so i so there's some fuzzy parts, um, but for the most part, um, I was just out for a day riding. There's a really nice uh, bike trail between Banff and Canmore, a uh, two-lane bike path, and uh, it's a 40k loop, roughly, and I was on my way back, and, you know, on a relatively straight section, nothing really out of the ordinary, and there was a group of people going the other direction, uh, the last there was four or five of them and then another three and the second person in that group of three uh, turned broadside into my lane and turned to talk to the person behind them. And I had fence on the one side and a wall on the other side. So there was really nowhere to go. So I spiked the brakes, I vaulted the bike and kind of cannonballed through them. Um, I took their handlebars to the back of my head, uh, shattered my helmet and yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, like kept on flipping for another 15, 20 feet and then hit the ground. Like, I'm not happy it happened, but like, if you send me the link, I'd click it. Like, <laughs> it, it would have looked great. Um, but yeah, I, the main, the main thing that I remember after that is like trying to look over my bike and not being able to get from one end of the bike to the other with like remembering if the fork was okay or remembering if the frame was okay. Like everything was just really, really like you'd think about it and then it was gone. And I ended up calling over some other bikers to be like, hey, can you check over my bike? And they checked over my bike. 
And it actually, like, I dislocated my elbow in the crash, too, so I'd pop that back into place. And I was like, well, I got off easy. And then I just got on the bike and I rode home. Oh. And, yeah, it was, uh, it's a bit of a trip because I think the next day I went into work and was just like, you know, let's get back to this. Yeah, my body's a little sore, but I'm fine. And just looking at the computer screen, I had all these reports to write because of all the work that I'd done through the summer and, you know, looking at my data and getting nothing and looking at the report that I'd started on the Friday before and getting nothing. It's like, something's really wrong, but I didn't know what I, I hadn't gone to the hospital. I hadn't done anything like that. I just sort of shrugged it off. Uh, and ended up putting myself, uh, I went to my boss and was just like, I think I need a vacation. I think I'm just burnt out from the summer. And I said, yeah, sure. No problem. Take a week or two. And, um, that's where things get really fuzzy because by the time I sort of, really remember stuff clearly i was living in victoria with my parents and all of my things had come with me i didn't have an apartment in calgary anymore like i'd cleared out completely and i just had no recollection of that and on top of that i couldn't sleep i couldn't uh function like there was a lot of stuff going on that did not make sense and yeah it was just a very very shocking wake up what was the time period between you asking your your boss for that vacation and then being at home with your parents with all your stuff do you know uh so i ended up i was back so i was back in september the crash was in late august i was back home in september for in a small degree and then like i'd shifted out completely by the end of the year but like i couldn't tell you what day i moved all my stuff i couldn't tell yeah. you what day i arrived i yeah, it, the information's there. I just don't remember. <laughs> just not sure where to access it. Yeah, it yeah. totally. And um, but like, I think I like I first went to try and like, I went to get help because I couldn't understand what was going on at the end of October, uh, and that was where I got my first doctor to look at me and say, "Well, something's wrong," and then it just started this long process of getting the right diagnosis and getting the right care. Okay, so the first um, person you went to for help, he recognized that something was wrong. Well, the thing that I presented with initially wasn't uh, standard. So because of the nature of the crash, because of the nature of the injury, um, a lot of people when they have cycling crash that causes a TBI, it's a, it's a straight up impact to the front or side of the head. Because of mine being at the back of the head, a lot of my damage was done at the prefrontal cortex, right in the very front of my brain, which, and also from a rotational moment. So it's called an axonal injury, which means that parts that connect to different areas of the brain are getting jostled and severed. And so what ends up happening is that you function very normally until the connections that are feeding those areas information fatigue, because you have fewer of those connections. And it, I'm, I'm going to be really reductive about it, but it's essentially the the pathways get tired and you end up unable to process anymore. So you'll you'll meet someone, you'll talk to someone and say, oh, he seems okay. And then you'll leave and just be a, a shell for the next couple of days. So it's a, it's a confusing thing. And I think um, just one thing through the process, like I was able to connect with the Victoria Brain Injury Society um, and basically learning that these kinds of things are incredibly individual and they're always unique to the individual in some way. Some people have vestibular issues. Some people have uh, cognitive issues. Some people have fatigue issues. Some people have all of them. And it's just, you don't really know what you're getting until you get it. Um, having not known that I had this at the initial uh, crash, what ended up happening to me was a, a very severe secondary cascade because you have your initial. And then if you don't have symptoms in that initial phase, but you don't do anything to give your brain care, there's a chance that you can continue to have de uh, degeneration over time. So um, I sort of just hit the end of the hit the end of the rope a little further down the road, as opposed to like, if I had a different kind of impact and gotten up and been able, unable to balance, or if I'd lost consciousness for a very long period of time, things like that. So there's, there's a lot of gray area in that region when it comes to TBI information. So Okay. So I was just, I, I'm trying to picture the crash in my mind and thinking to myself, your helmet was like smash. I think I would have forced you, honestly, just to sit there until we called the ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah, the, yeah, there was a lot of stuff about that that was not right. And actually, um, 
it's a bit funny because uh, the fellow that so one of the things that I was doing as a hobby in Calgary was a, an apprentice knife maker, and the fellow that I was learning how to make knives from was a neurosurgeon or had been a neurosurgeon, he's then retired. And I'd mentioned the crash to him, told him on my elbow and all that stuff, but I hadn't mentioned the helmet. And he's like, "Why didn't you mention that? I would have had you in for all of this stuff." And it's just you just uh, I don't know. Sometimes you can't choose the right path because you don't know what's in front of you. Yeah. Wow. It seems uh, like that's such a, um, a major thing in your life. Like you mentioned that you lost your relationship, your job, you couldn't function at now you're at home with your family. You've lost your independence. You know, tell us about that time. Like how, like, how were you, how were you in terms of your mental state, your motivation? How did you, how did you make it through that time? So a major part of, or a very common thing that happens to people when they have severe concussions or post-concussion syndrome is there is uh, a predisposition to depression and things like that. And I fell very deeply into that. And uh, when I first in, when I first presented to the doctor for help, it was because I was uh, having very, very severe depressive episodes and ideation and things like that. And just, uh, it was a really dangerous time. And um I, I really, I can't thank my family enough. My parents have been incredible uh, supporting me. And I, I don't think that I would be, I don't think that I would be here without them for a second. But that said, coming from the position I was in to the lifestyle that I then had to adjust to, there's an environmental depression that comes with that too, where you're adapting to what you can and cannot do. Um, you know, the initial, like the initial stuff that I went through was very irrational. Um, just sort of unpredictable mood swings and irritability and uh, just a general, un- I don't know how to explain it other than saying it was a profound uh, lack of wellness. Uh, but after that, it's like, okay, I'm here. And I went through the treatments for that. But it's like, I'm now here and I don't know how to cope with this place and this life. And that was where I think triathlon really came in for me because that was a small bit of freedom that I could still keep for myself. I was, you know, I didn't have to ask anybody for permission or help to go to the gym as long as I was doing it within my means. You know, I'd get myself there and I'd work until I couldn't work anymore. And then I'd come home and then manage my fatigue until that was over and then try again and try again and try again. And that was sort of the the slow build that I was clinging to as progress through that time, because, you know, if you're not looking at um, progress in any other realm, it's like, what am I actually making efforts in that are causing change for me? And like the biggest changes that I was seeing were in the gym and were when I was out trying to do these things. Like I remember the first time I tried to ride in a, a Peloton and like I talk about, just vestibular issues not being a thing for me, but sensory issues were huge. Were like uh, having to react to movement, having lots of sounds around me, uh, that kind of thing. Being in the middle of a group of people biking. Uh, the first time I was in a peloton, I think I lasted maybe 30 seconds before I like jumped out to the left side and hung back and then just time trialed it from there. Like there was just no way I could do it. And then because like I didn't have a choice, it was this is what I need to be able to do, forcing myself up onto the back of the pack and then up into the pack and just trying to work calmly at that limit that I'd had. And yeah, I think that's why I say that the recovery and triathlon have been really linked because the training was the avenue that I was able to see my recovery firsthand. Uh, I go out and I do something more competently, more ca- in a more uh, comfortable way than I could have done a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Like the if I were to look at myself in terms of career, I mean, I still haven't been able to go back to being a biologist. Uh, I still love being outdoors and I still, you know, nerd out really hard whenever I see a cool bug or a new plant that I haven't seen. That's just who I am. But, you know, I'm not writing reports. I'm not, you know, taking on jobs. But at the same time, you know, the things that I can do now sitting in a, sitting in a restaurant with people talking all around me or being in a group ride or being in a group run and having conversations with people while I'm doing a task that was something that I couldn't even consider doing in 2015, 2016. So I have to be aware and thankful for that progress and know that that's just another step on the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the 
powerful things about triathlon and just sport in general you know because you can see that progress once you start and once you see that progress it gives you hope it gives you it just makes fires you up to continue doing it nothing motivates like progress yeah are you hoping that um you know someday you can go back to being a biologist or do you find that now you're on a new path in regards to the coaching and things like that Mm. well biology is uh, as much a passion as sports are, uh, I would really love to see myself back doing something of that nature. I, I don't think that, like, I, I've talked with my, my neuropsych a lot about it and just the strains of that job and what that would require. And it's like, is that so likely to go back to what I was doing? Probably not. Um, but I will be able to find a utility for my education and a, a new avenue to explore that aspect of what I enjoy doing. Uh, on top of that, you know, being able to continue doing sport and have that as a side opportunity as well. That's, that's a big part of it. So I think if anything, uh, I expect to be more diverse uh, and less focused because prior to the crash, I was hyper-focused on that academic career and you know, in a lot of ways it might not have been the most healthy thing. So uh, I'm able to enjoy the idea that doing it in a more soft and holistic way might end up being better for me in the long run and something that, I can be grateful for. That's, that's good. Um, you know, it's good that you're able to take, you know, where you were and now where you are and continue to grow from that. I think a lot of people, a lot of people could learn from you. Maybe they don't want to have the, obviously the bike crash that you had to, to get that lesson, but being able to share what you're sharing, um, you know, and, and maybe that hyper-focus that you were, maybe not that healthy, but now you're able to do more of the things that eventually will be healthier for you along the future. I uh, I actually joked every now and then, just like, you know, I'm not upset about the lessons. I just wish that it could have been done a different way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We all need to learn those lessons, just we really don't want to learn them the way that you did. I don't recommend it. So if anybody's out there thinking, hey, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Find your own path. Don't don't do as I do. (laughs) Let me help you with swim technique. Don't don't worry so much about the crash. Actually, you just mentioned the swim technique. I find that amazing what you've done. Um, You said, you know, you were comfortable in the water, but you went and got a DVD. You taught yourself how to swim. And now a couple years later, you are teaching swim technique to other people. So how, how did you, you know, go from learning on a DVD to now being able to, to show other people how to swim properly? Because I saw some of your videos and I'm a swimmer. You have a very nice catch, I have to say. <laughs> Actually, the reason that I am the way that I am right now is I think because of some of the hardships that I had, um, I didn't have, like, most people when they want to swim, they they join up with uh, a swim club and they just get into the group and you find your level and you work with those people and maybe you go up and maybe you stay where you are. And that's, it's more about the the community. And unfortunately, with my situation uh, and makes triathlon a really poor choice, there's a really strong budget issue. Um, And the cost for me to go and join a club was significantly higher than to get information um, and to find resources that were on like what I wanted to be learning. Like my goal, because uh, I come from a rowing background, I know quite a bit about uh, endurance training. And on top of that, I mean, rowing kind of is water, water propulsion in a, in a nutshell. So there was a lot of concepts that I kind of understood. And then with that, I was trying to find, and, and to be fair, I did go and have some conversations with coaches and it was just, it wasn't it wasn't possible for me to be out doing that. Uh, initially, it was the the cost and the group aspect, just because I couldn't be around that many people and in that public situation for a while. Um, but then eventually, it was just I was I was starting to work on things that just were not going to get worked on if I was in a group setting. Um, one of the things that I know from my uh, kickboxing background, martial arts background, is that you can be in a class forever and not really learn. But when someone's like able to take you aside and be like, "No, no, no, this this way." this this way and don't do that ever <laughs> that's really where someone's going to make those improvements and and for me knowing my difficulties knowing my my obstacles it was a lot easier for me to go and become the coach 
as opposed to trying to find someone who was willing to take on all of my difficulties and say, okay, I can find a way for you. Um, so it was, it was a, a mix of things that just ended up with me finding learning for myself was not necessarily the easier path, but the more productive one. And like, yeah, uh, I, I was always uh, like, I, I did a biology background uh, or did a biology in my university where it was primarily environmental biology, but also kinesiology. So I was always fascinated by bones and muscles and how everything worked together. So for me, uh, getting into the real nuts and bolts of what drives a person forward when they're swimming, because like I did what everybody does, they get into the pool, they thrash down 50 meters and they need to stop and take, you know, five minutes and think about what they've just done. That's right. Um, Catch your breath. To get, exactly. <laughs> like it's this, this stuff's tiring um, to get from that to, why is it taking me so much energy to do this? Why is it so difficult? What natural habits do I have as someone who lived his entire life not a swimmer? What am I doing that feels natural that's completely wrong? And how do I break that? And so uh, I think the thing that made me want to coach myself and want to help others in the way that I learned how to do it is because I got very good at pinpointing the issues that I was having that were barring me from a shape or a feeling that I wanted to achieve in the water. Like, um, very, very nice of you to compliment my catch. That's something that I first saw watching Ryan Cochran swim alongside Sun Yang in the Olympics. Yeah. I saw these two guys with very similar uh, paces, totally different styles, but this was something that was totally unified. There's a photo of them coming down the lane mid-stroke, and you see this perfect 90-degree angle on both of them, and it's like that is the uniting factor in these incredibly fast swimmers. Like, uh, of all the things that you can do, uh, actually, uh, Sheila Taramina's book, Swim Speed Secrets for Swimmers, yep. that was one of the best resources that I found where it's just like cutting away all of these other things and saying, no, this is what drives you forward. And and for me, it was like, yeah, I agree. This makes perfect sense. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to focus on that and try and figure out how to make this thing that feels right but isn't and turn it into something that is right and feels right. And yeah, it, it just sort of led me down that path. Have you found any sort of trouble sort of uh, when, when you, uh, how do you say, when, when you tell your new students uh, or people you want, you want to be like prospect students, uh, oh, by the way, you know that I learned to swim uh, with YouTube videos, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I find interesting, and, and this is like, I, I'm a, nccp coach for rowing and i'm an nccp coach for triathlon and i've been coaching uh brazilian jiu-jitsu kickboxing boxing no one owns good technique no. no one actually can say i have the certification that says i really know what i'm talking about <laughs> there are people that have certifications to the nines that couldn't teach you to do anything there are people with no certifications that are wizards of technique and if there's somebody out there who thinks, well, if you weren't able to swim well five years ago, why would I learn from you? I say, no, that's absolutely fair. You can go and find someone that was a swimmer when they were, since they were a small child. And I completely agree that they will have a wonderful resource for knowledge. Uh, but if you are a late entry swimmer, if you are someone who didn't come to this with a background, I think my skill set and how I got to where I am is an advantage because I can look at what you're doing or what someone's doing and say, okay, I know why that's that way. And I know how I broke it in me. And maybe that will help you. Does it mean better? No, just different. Does it mean worse? No, just different. I, I think it's, um, I think it's just, there's room for different approaches. And if the goal is to swim well, uh, why would it be a detriment? And yeah, I, I don't, I don't begrudge anyone who thinks, you know, why would I learn from someone who started out learning from a DVD? I'd say, no, I, I agree. That's a weird thing, but that's how it worked. And if you like the way that I swim, I can show you how I learned. Actually, it was a joke question, but you answered beautifully. So I, I buy it. <laughs> well, I, I think that it's something that's very valid. And like, it is, yeah. I, I, um, I don't for a second pretend that uh, I've got some miracle cure. There's so much that I'm working on still in myself. I, I'm constantly learning, constantly refining. That's why I'm loving doing all of this video analysis and the videos that I put up on my channel where it's like, I'll do something and I'll see something You're like, yeah, that that's a part that I really like, or that's a part that I really don't like. And I'm growing still. And, you know, that active sort of 
living process of improvement is is not something I ever want to stop. Like right now, uh, I'm at a sprint pace that I think is pretty quick, but I still want to see quicker. I'm, and my cruising pace is getting pretty competent, but is it competent enough? No, I want to see what speed I can really achieve. I, and yeah, like I had an experience too, where one of the coaches that I met, uh, probably I think it was 2016, where I was really thinking like I need I need help to try and do this well. Uh, this was uh, right before that was the year that I got I won the provincials. Um, but basically, he had a he had a, a brace of four lanes blocked off. He had 40 athletes or something. He's a very very good coach, very exceptional uh, team. But he had slow lane, mid lane, fast lane, elite lane. And the question that I put to him was like, well, how do you take somebody from this lane pointed at the mid lane and then I pointed the elite lane to that lane and he just got this look on his face like what do you mean (laughs) and I found that to be really disheartening I was like well but no really like there has to be a roadmap there has to be a way because that's what I want to do and if I'm asking you this question and you don't have that answer then this isn't the right place (laughs) just from personal experience I find sometimes that I don't know if I may know the coach that you're talking about, but you don't have to tell me the name. So, um, <laughs> but if there, sometimes I find that coaches that, that coach, I don't know, say younger athletes moving upwards, mm-hmm. they have a very difficult time taking on adults mm-hmm. and, and moving them forward. Uh, cause they want to put the same box on the adults as they put on the kids and, I don't know what you find, but I, I find it's not the same at all. It's very different. Well, and I think that's a, a product of what it is to teach a child versus what it is to teach an adult. I mean, uh, I remember, I think it was the Rick Mercer report where they did a thing on triathlon Canada and Simon Whitfield was on and uh, he was asked, uh, how do I do X, Y, and Z getting into it now? And it was like, don't even bother. <laughs> and, and I mean, Simon Whitfield is the paragon of the sport. I mean, Canadian triathlon icon and, you know, you can't say he's wrong, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, there's always value in the attempt. There's always value in trying to find a way to explain that at a different level and in a different way. Um, is it something that an elite level coach wants to do with someone who's maybe not the ideal student? I don't, I don't know. That's up to them. Um, but yeah, I think that trying to put that, like the youth box where you have these kids where you can bring them in, they have very little else aside from school to occupy their time. And it's like, I'm going to make you swim, you know, five kilometers a session, four days a week, and then three kilometers a session for a recovery, like they'll just go and do it and they'll learn over the course of that uh, time because they're developing cognitively and physically with it. Um, But for me, like my volume for training is exceptionally low, especially for swimming. I do so much technical work in uh, sort of a microcosm. I do a lot of band work. I do a lot of uh, tethered swimming and you know, because it wouldn't have been safe for me with the technique that I had to go out and swim that distance to try and find the right technique. I needed to find the right technique and then stretch out the distance. Yeah. So how, how much, I'm just going to ask you because swimming is interesting to me too. Um, so how much do you swim per week? Would you say, you say your volume's low, but how, how low is that? So right now, so this is uh, that's more of a uh, statement for the last few years. This year, I'm actually focused very in the same way. Like last year, I was very intensely focused on my running. This year, I'm very to- very focused on my swimming. Uh, right now, I'm swimming four days a week, five days a week. Yeah, five days a week, uh, and I'll be covering anywhere from ten to fifteen kilometers. It's it's just sort of relative, and that's now changing again because I'm raising up my distances. I'm prepping for a 10K swim. So I have minimum two swims that are going to be 5K. And then there's going to be a couple more on top of that for recovery and intervals. So, Ocean swim or lake? It'll be an ocean swim, the one that I'm competing in. Ah. Yeah. Are you comfortable with the whole washing machine of the, of the open water swims now? I Honestly, I seek it out. I think that that's a lot of fun. I... It's one thing to swim in a pool, but at the same time, you know, keeping your technique and keeping your focus when you're kind of getting buffeted around. Like I say, I came up doing a lot of body surfing and stuff. Like I, I spent a couple of trips to Hawaii and I took a fair share of knocks when I was a little kid trying to ride the big waves. And I don't know. I think that's just part of it. I, I don't think I've ever been uncomfortable in the water. So it's just a matter of trying to learn to maintain my composure 
and focus on the task at hand. Well, good luck. When is that race? Uh, if it goes, it'll be at the end of May. It's all kind of coming down to the wire. I'm not really sure. I need to I need to sell another bike and in order to afford it. So it's a little chilly, I would think too. <laughs> Well, it's it's going to be down south. That's why I got to sell the bike. Oh, okay. I was like, oh my god, if it's in Victoria, you freeze to death. No, no. <laughs> I would freeze to death. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I would join you. I do not have a lot of a lot of insulation. So. No, you don't. I noticed that because you are making pasta with your shirt off on your Instagram. <laughs> oh God, I I hope I hope people get a good laugh out of that. I just I don't know. <laughs> You know what? You got abs. You should show them off. Cheers to that. I will continue just for that. Actually, I have a question. I have a question on that because I saw a picture of you on Instagram, you know, like showing the the six pack thing. Like, oh wow! And then right after that, you posted a picture holding not only one but two huge ice cream cones. <laughs> so it's like, how do you do both? Uh, so. Uh, I'm I'm naturally quite slim. Uh, on top of that, uh, the way that I train is so I do a lot of sort of interval intensity. So I do end up with a lot of like metabolic overload where I get that elevated temperature, burning extra calories after the workout's over. Uh, I've never really struggled with weight being on that I didn't want on. If anything, I struggle to put it on. Um, I find. I'm more prone to actually lean out. And I, I think that actually owes to sort of the years uh, as a weight class athlete in rowing um, and in combat sports where it's like you're constantly thinking about not gaining weight. So there are some bad habits there. There's some things that I'm not so happy with. So for me with triathlon where it's like the more watts you can make per kilo, the better. Uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty, pretty liberal with, you know, my intake. I after after a race, I don't feel bad about having ice cream. After a, a good hard session, I don't feel bad about you know putting a little extra in my smoothie and just trying to trying to make sure that my body has what it needs. Um, but at the same time, I, you got to remember I'm coming from a position of like I would be underweight otherwise. So I'm carrying currently I'm carrying about 15 pounds more muscle than I would have had had you met me five years ago. Wow. Oh yeah, I, I could imagine if you're if you're like six foot two and 150 pounds while you're rowing that's it's pretty slim yeah <laughs> so. but on the plus side it made me fantastic at climbing hills on the bike and then i yeah. got shoulders and it got a lot harder so. <laughs> yeah. i know that swimmer shoulders do weigh you down a little bit but you know what they work well in the water <laughs> they do but it's also the wind drag and like i'm like a sail now when i'm running if there's a headwind it's just the worst time <laughs> <laughs> I had I had a running race where there was a guy running dead behind me because like you're great this is awesome I don't feel a thing I'm like thanks this is, this is just embarrassing that's perfect I'm not an athlete I'm a billboard so I also noticed that you do some you did you know some other crazy swim things like the polar bear dip and oh yeah yeah you do that every yeah, year or was that just like uh, so. Polar bear swim is uh, on the first of the year. We go down to the Esquimalt Lagoon right uh, right in Colwood, and everybody kind of does a countdown and charges in and takes a swim. And oh, God. Yeah. In Canada. We do that in Grimsby, too, but um, into Lake Ontario. However, I, I've, I, I'll i watch, but I really don't want to take part. So <laughs> how, do you, how, how did you do that? Like, how cold is it? Uh, so I think – Temperature-wise, I think the water's around six or seven degrees. Um, I don't know what that converts to for Fahrenheit if uh, for people in in the U.S., but uh, it's it's very cold. But at the same time, it's not. I don't know how how do I put it. It's uh it's all about saying yes to the wrong impulse. Like I, I even made a good laugh of it, where like the first year I did it, I came out wearing my my Team Canada suit and I had my cap and goggles on, and I did a full-on race start, like sprint to the water and dive in. Um, but you just kind of get caught up in it. It's it's a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of fun. And do uh, is it cold? I don't know. Yeah, but no <laughs> yeah, one dies. Pass. So <laughs> it's it's more about the experience than the than the sensation. Uh, and on top of that, like I think uh, cold water tolerance is something that you can kind of develop. Not saying that I would want to go swimming in six degree water or five degree water or anything less at any at any stage. But 
you know, it's not something that's like so bad. I, I went to Holland quite a bit in the last couple of years and there's a fellow Wim Hof that does a lot of cold water immersion stuff. And so uh, my chiropractor's uh, pretty big into him. So we, we go and do cold water immersion sometimes after we do a, a track session. So oh. do you take cold water baths? I don't actually have a bath right now, but uh, I have the, the ocean right next door. So what I'm actually going to be doing, I'm starting my, my sprint training in the next uh, week or two and I'll be doing my, my sprint training along the along the causeway and then i'll just hike up my shorts and go walk into the water and hang out for a bit mm-hmm. well it, it's neat too because i've got a couple friends that work at the at pice which is the athletic development center and got to have uh, just some chats with them about the benefits of cold water immersion therapy and it's you know different schools of thought but i think that it's worth it's worth giving a go and seeing what i seeing what i find and you know it's like anything i'm not gonna recommend anything that i haven't tried for a while yet so i'll, I'll get back to you guys and how good it is <laughs> sounds good sounds good so um i'm gonna bring us back a little bit into uh back to you know you coming back from your injury getting back to triathlon and i mean you got into the sprints and then you you qualified for the 2017 um world championships for sprint mm-hmm. Yep. So can you take us along that journey a little bit on how you went from there to world championships? I think like I'm trying to think of the a concise way to phrase it. It was it was something that, so this is something that I've actually seen in, in some other people, some friends that I have where people pick an event and give it all kinds of weight as I will do this event and it will mean X, Y, and Z. Uh, it, this this will be a defining moment for me. This will be when I prove this to myself. This will be when I show this capacity. Um, and and I really like when I so I qualified doing the race in Edmonton. Um, I, it was at the end of a 2016 was a really really fun season. I raced uh, less than I did in 2015, but uh, I raced more more consistently and more uh, much strong much more strongly. And um, I sort of set the tone of like, yeah, maybe I could go and do that. And I'd always kind of had this dream of competing internationally. Like when I was rowing, um, I'd always wanted to try and be on Team Canada and go and race at, at the Pan Ams or something like that. But the the issue was, is being six foot two, I was too tall to be a really good lightweight and too short to be a really good heavyweight. So I ended up in this like middle zone of being really good, but just not good enough. And it was not so much my fault. It was just the fault of the sport in that it only has these two divisions. And, you know, that's that's just the, the hand you're dealt. And triathlon kind of gave me this opportunity to be like, well, I'm kind of built for everything in a way. I'm sort of, I'm not particularly this, particularly that. And if I really work at this, maybe this could be the way that I could have that race. And, you know, being coming from that place of being very unwell and, and being in, in a deep depression and just having that thought that I could have that moment where I could do something that I had never been able to do, even as deficient as I was, even as limited as I was. And, and it became this very big focal point for me. What ended up happening, which I thought was the most remarkable though, is that I went at, went at it with that, trying incredibly hard, just pushing myself to that limit. Um, I had quite a few injuries along the way. I, I injured my back. I injured my knees. I had problems with my hips. Um, you know, lots of lots of stuff just cropping up because I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and trying so desperately to make that dream a reality. Um, and what ended up happening was, like, I had the race before I was supposed to go off to do Worlds. Actually, rewind a little bit further. I met somebody who had been an international competitor and somebody I respected very, very much. And I'd sort of just come to them and confided in my situation and been like, I really need help because I believe that there was no way I was going to be able to do this just of my own accord. I needed guidance. I needed someone to sort of like show me the right way to do it, to do it my best. And uh, what ended up happening was they actually completely dropped the ball. Like, and not to, not to fault them, not to blame them, but at the same time, everybody's got a life, everybody's got a thing to do. But like, this was, this was it for me. And I had so much on it. And then just like, no help. Mm. And it, there was that moment where I was like, this race is going to be a disaster. This race is not going to be what I, what I wanted it to be. This race is not going to be this accomplishment. It will, it will be, if anything, it'll be me highlighting that I am incapable. Incapable. Wow. Anyway, 
<laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh no, I'm making mistakes. But <laughs> no, uh, but uh, it put me in that position where I looked at that reality, and what happened was instead of despair, I thought, "Good, because this race is not all it's about." This is not going to end at that race. I'm not going to cross that finish line and be done. That's not the best I could ever do. That's not going to tell me something about myself that I didn't know. And and with that, it was it was honestly a wonderful thing because it made me put aside this idea that I had so much to prove. And it was just something that I wanted to go and enjoy. And moreover, I was able to look and say, like, you know, my hip hurts, my shoulder hurts, my back hurts. What am I doing with myself? And very, very luckily, the next race that I did was where I met uh, Michael Maxwell, who's my chiropractor. And basically, I had that conversation with him. I crossed the finish line. Uh, I, I won my division, but I was hurt. I could barely walk. And I'm, this guy's working on me, and I'm talking to him. He's like, you know, maybe I can help you out a bit. And started working with him, and I ended up, six weeks later, I raced at the Worlds. And the most exciting thing about racing at the Worlds was that I didn't hurt. And Yes, I did. I did honestly one of the best races that I'd done. And, you know, I have those memories of pushing off the pushing off the, the, the water start with 90 other guys that were out there fighting for that spot and then coming out of the water and, and keeping pace with all these guys. And that was what I'd come there to do, to have that experience, to race at that level, to, to sit in a bike peloton and, and chirp back and forth with guys in six different languages, just because that's the way it goes. I mean, it was, it was a thrilling experience. And because I wasn't so focused on the result, like where I was on the bracket, it was more just to go there and do and do well for me, not necessarily like, cause I know that everybody's going to look at their results and say, that's good. That's bad. I, I just wanted to look at it and to say, I did to my ability, honestly, uh, and from there, move forward, move on uh, and say, now that I've done this, what else can I do? Uh, and like, I have, I had the idea that I wanted to go back and do it again in Lausanne this year, but uh, my qualifier race, which was supposed to be the Apple triathlon last year, was canceled because of uh, fires, which was yes. very unfortunate. But with that, it's like, okay, there's no Lausanne this year. What am I going to do? How am I going to continue moving forward? And that's why I've been able to sit back and say, I really want to work on my swimming. I really enjoy being in the pool and refining my stroke and getting that really good feeling. Um, and same with running. I'm now doing tons of trail running now and, and uh, just loving that idea of going out. I'll be back in two hours, three hours, whatever it's going to be. I'm going to go and enjoy and come back. And then when it comes time, like I don't have much, uh, I think I'll probably try and go for the worlds again and, maybe 2021 20, or 22, depending on where they're being held. But it's, um, it's just something that's out there and I can work towards it mindfully and healthily and, and not put myself through that kind of suffering that I did in that 2016, 2017 lead up to the world championship, because that was the most important thing, I think, to learn that it's about enjoying the process and enjoying the result, uh, as opposed to, you know, beating yourself into a frame that you might not be able to fit in time and, and, hanging everything on that result because yeah i think that's why so many people have that uh, post-event depression where it's like okay it's over it was supposed to mean all of this and it didn't well how can it possibly it was just a race huh. so the, the hours that you spent training the hours that you spent with the people that you work with like that was what got you there that was what was supposed to have the most value if anything if you put it all on that one moment well that moment's gone are you going to keep on talking about it like come on, we've got more stuff to do. Exactly. Mm. You don't want to relive your glory high school days for the rest of your life. You need to move forward, you know? Well, it's no different from reliving a horrible moment. Like I could, people talk about reliving a glory, but at the same time, people relive horrible things too. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, the moment on the podium is just as long as the moment sitting, trying to check over my bike after the crash. I mean, they're going to matter as much as you let them matter. Yeah. Love the perspective. So what do you have going on for the rest of the year? You obviously have, you may be going to this 10K swim, but apart from that, what's the season look like? So uh, unfortunately, I need to sell all my bikes because... So how many bikes do you have? So, uh, I had, so at the peak, I had four. I had the one that I initially bought when I was in Kona. And then I built 
two more and I bought another one that I used when I was in Rotterdam. Um, but yeah, it was just, I, I don't want to, I, I know that I've, I mentioned budget, but you got to understand like this is bargain bin triathlon. Like I, I found a frame for X amount of dollars. I found a group set for X amount of dollars. And like, if I tried to buy these bikes new, never going to happen. But I was able to put together decent kit just by being resourceful and being, well, just having a lot of time to put them together. Um, like another thing that happened along the way is I learned how to be a bike mechanic. So it was just part and parcel with that. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm at a point now where it's like, if I'm going to, you know, make it out and, and make it on to something new, I have to sort of divest myself of them and then hopefully reinvest later. So I'm going to spend the rest of the year working on swimming and running and trying to save some money. And hopefully, uh, hopefully I can bring some good, strong bike legs back and, uh, in later years. But, uh, with that, I, uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with swim run. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What have you heard, Sheila? Uh, well, what's interesting is that, um, we have a little swim run series actually out here. If you've been, you've been to Gulliver's Lake, you know where that is. You, you went to Guelph. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's in close to Hamilton. It's kind of in between. We have a, a swim run series actually called Stroke and Stride, uh, out here. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting because they've got different, different distances, but it's generally sprint. And, um, the one at the end of August actually has spots for the, uh, Aquathon world championships. Ah, so now this is a question. This is a quick one. Um, so Aquathon and swim run, like are you familiar with, uh, I think I don't want to mispronounce it. Otello or Otello, the one that they run in Europe. Yeah. Oh, is that the one where you can take your paddles and your fins? Yeah, where you you yeah, yeah. In your wetsuit and you swim in your swim in your shoes yeah. kind of thing. We have some of those out here too. And and uh, isn't in that Niagara. what swim run basically is? I thought all swim runs are like that. <laughs> well, it's just with Aquathon, you get like so the North American multi sport ethos where you finish one and you're done with it and you never go back to it unless you're doing a duathlon. Yeah. Um, but with with the swim run where it's just like that pursuit kind of point to point, and I just I thought that was pretty cool. I was able to. Uh, I was able to spend some time with some people that do that in Spain last year, and they uh, basically just put me through the paces and took me on one of the one of the courses. And I was like, "This is a crazy sport. I wouldn't mind trying this." And I did a little bit of digging and found that there's a couple in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm hopefully going to be able to do some of those. I've got some friends. Like the neat thing is that it's a team sport. You get tied to somebody, and then you go off and do this thing. You're not allowed to be more than ten meters away from them at any time. So. It, oh, it, that's different than ours. We have a one in Welland too, where you take your paddles, you go from point to point, you swim, mm-hmm. you run, you take your stuff, you have your shoes, you have to carry everything, mm-hmm. but you're, you're individual. Yeah. And, and the hallmark of the European ones that like, the people that I was talking with were, you know, you do it as a team, you have to find somebody to do it with. <laughs> and I thought that that added an element that was really cool. I mean, triathlon is, you know, pretty solitary and sometimes it's just kind of nice like, Hey, I really like this swim partner. Mm-hmm. I'm not letting them go. <laughs> so do you have someone? I have a couple people that are interested. Uh, there's, uh, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Danny Olofsson in Edmonton. She's expressed some interest. Um, there's a lady named Katie Gadeck down in LA. She's expressed some interest. Uh, my friend Kirsten is also another person. She's just like, uh, and I want to try and get my buddy Tim into it too. So there, it's, it, I think that's the whole idea is that you have friends. It's like, hey, does this sound fun? It's more like it's more like a drunken bet than a race. So <laughs> there's appeal there, and and it just gives me the freedom to kind of uh, stretch out my distances and work on the things that I'm trying to develop, and you know hopefully come to come back to sprint distance triathlon in in 2020 and 2021 as like just a more knowledgeable and more skilled uh, more skilled competitor. Awesome. I just had just some random question that I saw online and I, I just more of a a general interest question. It's, Mm. um, I saw that you were called Tigger in high school. (laughs) 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 I was just curious as to why that was. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, where did you get that? (laughs) Your Instagram. Uh, (laughs) I found it while I was combing through and stalking you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So Tigger. So yeah, I, um, so at the school that I went to, there were very, very tall ceilings and there were, it was probably, I don't know. I just, 
I just I had really good good uh good good vert for a kid, and um, I was way rambunctious. I I just never really slowed down. So the most common thing that you'd see if you saw me sort of in off hours would be trying to jump and grab something. Like uh, I wanted to see if I could dunk the basketball. I wanted to. So it just became a thing. Uh, just having tons of energy and being really active and just yeah, generally being a, a bit of a nut. And <laughs> it just it came with it. I was just unapologetically enthusiastic about everything that was in front of me and that was the name of the stuck <laughs> that's good and it still seems like you're really enthusiastic about everything that's put in front of you like you're you're really going for what you want so it's awesome for sure so rob what's the message you want people listening to take away from your story uh i think i don't know it, it's uh i don't want to be reductive and boil it down to a single thing the the yeah. most important aspects are there are always going to be obstacles it doesn't get easier you you just get better at managing it sometimes you have things that you can't control but even in those elements there are things that you can choose uh and and i like i think that's the one thing that people hear that really makes a lot of people grind their teeth is you could choose to be happy no i don't i don't think that that's always true but you can choose to take steps and move forward in small ways to a way that could lead you to a better place, that could lead you to a better result. And, and I think for someone, anyone who's struggling with mental health, anyone who has an injury that they're coping with, anybody who's just really struggling with a plateau in their in their athletic capacity, like don't despair, don't stop. Keep looking for a small thing. Keep looking for something that you can do right now that's right in front of you that will move you forward. That I think that would be the most important thing I could tell somebody. Don't stop. It's just not worth it. I, I remember there was a, I don't know if any you guys are familiar with Jose Mujica? Nope. No? He was the president of Uruguay, but he had a really wonderful thing that he did for the BBC where he just talks about his life philosophy. Uh, and one of the things that he says is that uh, it is always worth starting over once or a thousand times, as long as you're still alive. Just... Right. I think that's the biggest part. Mm, love it. Okay. And are there any people or brands that you'd like to give a shout out to here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am incredibly grateful to Dr. Michael Maxwell. He's been my chiropractor since uh, August of 2017. Um, he's, yeah, he's fixed every single problem I brought brought to him. He's um, really, really knowledgeable. And I just could not, uh, could not have done a lot of this without him because uh you know, injuries happen and the best way to manage them is with somebody who really knows what's going on. Uh, I've had, I've had help from uh, Suzanne Babb. She was uh, with Aquasphere. She's been very kind donating some uh, swim gear for me. And yeah, I, there's a, honestly, there's a lot of people that I should thank. And, and I, I don't want to go down a long list and forget people that are important. I mean, my training partner, Darcy Hines, um, he's been a good friend to me since 2015. I don't remember meeting him, but when I finally came to, he was a good friend of mine. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit crazy that way. Um, oh, my parents are all behind me 100%, and uh, I, I, know that, um, I know that it's been really hard for them. So I'm glad that they can, you know, be proud of some of the stuff that I've been able to accomplish in the direction that I'm heading. But yeah, uh, as far as brand shoutouts, I mean... So that triathlon isn't exactly a, a giving sport sometimes. <laughs> oh. But we take it in good humor and, and we keep on trying. <laughs> All right, then. Um, before we ask our last question, tell everyone where they can follow you online and watch you make pasta shirtless. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you find me on Instagram uh, at so underscore arrow a e r o, and um, that's really my my main online presence. Um, I might be doing a thing on swim run in the near future. Uh, that'll be at uh, at West Coast Swim Run, but that's not up and running yet. So don't don't jump on it too quickly. Um, but yeah, that's what a, that would be great if if anybody and if anyone wants to reach out, uh, talk swimming technique or running technique or anything. Uh, I'm really happy to hear from people and just have the dialogue. Um, always, always happy to have the conversation because it's just, we're all passionate. So it's great to just bring people together and, and see what's really going on. Have your finger on the pulse. Great. Okay. And our last question is why do you try? Suspense. See, the, 
I know, and I hate to keep you in suspense. It's just because the answer changes year by year. Uh, I, if you had asked me that three years ago, two years ago, last year, my answer now, I try because it's a worthwhile challenge. It's something that comes up that you don't have all the answers for, and it asks you to find them. And I embrace that concept. Awesome. Well, it, it's been amazing having you on the show. Um, it's amazing to see how you've progressed from where you were to now where you are. And personally, I just took away lots of messages that I needed to hear, I think. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying.